Perfume. The name Ron Klain is in your uh, consciousness yet. You know, and if you're a normal person, you never know who the president's chief of staff is anyway. That's uh, You're not living a good life if you know these names. Um, but uh, Biden's is going to be a, a man called Ron Klain. And when I saw the headline yesterday, it said, you know, a guy that's a uh, Biden is known for years, political blah, blah, blah. And uh, whatever. I have no interest in this. Until Tucker Carlson let me know last night that he is a big-time tech lobbyist. That's what he's been doing. Oh, good. Well, it doesn't matter. That's just one industry. They don't have an enormous outsized influence on America. And uh, he's said a number of things about China through the years that are a little troubling because he was representing the tech side of the world. Oh, boy. You know, ignoring the awfulness of China. And also, he was in charge in the Obama administration of the Swine Flu Task Force Response Team. Uh, when, you know, that pandemic, which came up during a couple of debates and Trump claimed they mishandled it and Biden said they handled it fine. Well, here's the guy who was handling it at the time, who is now Biden's chief of staff. I wasn't involved directly in the H1N1 response, but I, I lived through it as a White House staffer. And what I will say about it is uh, a bunch of really talented, really great people working on it. And we did every possible thing wrong. And it's, you know, 60 million Americans got H1N1 uh, in that period of time, and it's just purely a fortuity that this isn't one of the great mass casualty events in American history. Had nothing to do with us doing anything right. Just had to do with luck. That's a heck of a thing, isn't it? I appreciate his candor. Uh, well, I, he said that before he knew what he was going to be doing. Sure. Um, uh, and now... <laughs> now we'll just say, let's take it out of context. And now he's going to have a major role in overseeing the COVID response. Right. But in that he interview... He's the new man that will lead us to safety. In that interview, whenever he's said, he said, yeah, we just got lucky. Or it would have been a mass casualty event. I mean, One we of the did, worst in American history. We did everything, <laughs> what are you going to do? We did everything wrong. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? <laughs> Where was that clip when uh, Biden and Trump were arguing over their response in the Obama administration, I will. Uh, anyway, it, so it was it was on some conservative media. I'm uh, I'm going to be keeping an eye on uh, this guy for uh, what he's got to say about China and everything like that, since he's made a lot of money representing big tech, and yeah, that might be why he's there. Who knows? Well, it is beyond question that, uh, and I actually was reading this in the Wall Street Journal uh, that many uh, big time business types are really happy that Trump's whole challenging China. And trying to balance trade and and trying to get them to conform to the international rules, they're very happy that's over. Let's get back to padding our own wallets and those of the communist Chinese and let the the power of China grow. Got to admit, I had no idea 60 million Americans got the swine flu. Is that what he said? Uh, I think so, yeah. I had no idea. Was it, or was it even more? Now? How did I miss that story? Was I on yeah, vacation? It was, or? it was amazing. It was amazing. Was there a big sporting event that week? I don't know. How did I miss it? Uh, People weren't dying. Uh, so You've made a, um, your mark poo-pooing various uh, diseases. I have. I have. Which are simultaneously serious and overblown, usually. Uh, positive Sean, I need you to play along here for a second. Yes. Uh, we're going to do a Mad Lib. Uh, give me an emotion. Uh, rage. Rage. Okay, that's good. There you go. Uh, how about a piece of hardware? Something you'd find in a hardware store. Uh, a ten-penny nail. All right, we'll we'll go with nail, um, which means that's okay. Uh, give me a region of the country. Uh, Pacific Northwest. All right. Give me another region of the country. Uh, the South. Okay, we're almost done. Now give me one more region of the country. Uh, the Midwest. There you go. Where I grew up, Jack too. 
Um, blah, blah, blah. Here you go. Here's your COVID-19 report. This occurred to me as I was driving into work this morning, and I heard the latest network COVID report. Medical experts are enraged about the nail being hammered across the Pacific Northwest with a rise in COVID cases. The South similarly suffering. Authorities in the Midwest, however, are encouraged by a trend in the opposite direction. It's a mad lib every day. Somebody said, oh, Boston, Boston's just, oh, they're reeling. And then three days from now, somebody's going to say, Boston's doing a lot better. God dang Milwaukee. Milwaukee is dying, everybody. And then three days later, it's something else. And they'll credit the governor. Then they'll blame the other governor. And then when they swap places the next week, nobody says anything. You know, check your local uh, website or whatever. With all, all due respect to coughing Bostonians, I'm so over that news reporting. Now, that's a good band name. Uh, the coughing Bostonians. <laughs> it's, a, it's okay. Be tough to sell tickets in the post-COVID uh, live music era, though. You got a lot of songs where you go, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That's your trademark. Exactly. So much more to come newsy-wise in a moment or two, including Pete Buttigieg will smile to your face and bury a hatchet in your skull. And Portland, the new Portland mayor, the same Portland mayor, has removed gendered language from the city. Please stop. You know the rest. Is it against the law to say he or she? They. You have to say they all the time. Shut up. They should shut up. (laughs) There's almost always a rise in break-ins during the holiday, and our friends at Simply Safe Home Security are having a huge holiday sale to help you prevent that in your humble home. 30% off any Simply Safe system and a free security camera. And you install it yourself in about 30 minutes, which might make you think, well, this is kind of a uh, security system-ish. No, it's not. It's actually the best you can get. According to U.S. News & World Report, the best home security of 2020. It also won the CNET Editor's Choice for Home Security and was named Best of 2020 by Forbes and Popular Mechanics. So this is the good stuff. Come on. It's an arsenal of sensors and cameras that protect every inch of your home. You can set it up yourself in about 30 minutes. It's super easy. And then you have 24-7 monitoring around the clock to send emergency help any moment there's an alarm. Fire, uh, you know, break-in, health emergency, the rest of it. So get 30% off Simply Safe plus that free security camera today by visiting simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. This deal expires today. Go to simplysafe.com slash Armstrong. The coughing Bostonians. When am I, now that I'm an empty nester, I need a prediction here. When am I going to see my first live rock and roll show? What's your guess? With a crowd. With a crowd. Right. In person. With a crowd. Hmm. Fall next year. That'd that'd be my guess, too. No. And even that is going to be some sort of limit. It's going to be like 25% capacity or 50% capacity. I think concerts will exist before then, but I feel like the ones that are going to be the first to go up there are not necessarily going to be the shows that you would attend. So I think concerts will probably happen around summertime. There are bands playing shows right now as counties come in and out of whatever. You can play outdoors for whatever with, you know, 25% 25% capacity and blah, blah, blah. I, I was thinking venues of thousands, not hundreds. I'm sure. Yeah, they're, sure. yeah. Although I see a lot of funky little bands. Oh, give me a small venue and joy. a live. Oh, that's, my, that's great. 
But those will be the last to open, right? Oh, gosh. The small venues? I don't think so. Small bar, the bars that have bands? God, I don't know. Outdoor 3,000 seaters, I think, will probably open at some point. Oh, sure. Yeah, of I course, see that. actually, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. With yeah. half as many people in well, there. And the guitar player is going to be wearing mittens this time of year, so that's going to be kind of <laughs> uncool. But oh, anyway. <laughs> How 2020 killed off Democrats' demographic hopes. Some piece in Politico the other day caught my eye. The Democrats have a serious problem. Sean, you want to share your little uh, piece of wisdom you unleashed on us during the last commercial break? Oh, the uh, the the parties thing. Yeah, uh, I believe that the uh, the major political question of our time is: Do we currently have two political parties desperately trying to pretend that they aren't four political parties? Ah, uh, yes. I would like to analyze your analysis. Jack can analyze my analysis, uh, and 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 more. Plus the Politico thing. The Democrats took it in the belly in ways that nobody's talking about because nobody's really comfortable about it. And not just the obvious, the Senate thing and losing a few House seats. It was way worse than that. Also, even the New York Times says schools got to open back up simultaneously telling us that the Biden administration is going to be slower to open schools back up than Trump would have been. Oh, good. Even though the science is telling us it's okay. Yeah. Yep. So we got a bunch of stuff to come. Hope you can hang around. The Armstrong and Getty Show. On November 3rd, America decisively rejected President Trump, his harmful policies, and his dangerous rhetoric. The American people have given President-elect Biden a mandate to govern and reverse the harmful policies of the Trump administration. We are emerging from the dark days of the Trump administration into the dawn of a new progressive America, where pro-consumer and pro-investor How policies will always <laughs> be first on the agenda. Uh, the question seems to be, how the hell did Maxine Waters get reelected? Well, you know. But the more appropriate question is, how did she ever get elected? That was for anybody who is wondering what Maxine Waters is currently oh, thinking. Oh, Lord. There was a smart, charismatic young black man. Lives in that district. Maxine Waters doesn't. She lives in a mansion elsewhere. The guy didn't have a chance. Got killed. Mm. Well, she's a young upstart. Got a long political career ahead oh. of her at 82 years old. Mm. Oh, oh. Got some uh, pretty disturbing COVID statistics for you coming up next segment. I know some of you don't believe believe in them. I don't want to hear it. It's quite extraordinary. That's not. (laughs) It's It's nothing. I'm putting in a CD. Um, uh, uh, So anyway, we played that Maxine Waters. We have a mandate clip, uh, partly because it's hilarious um, and partly she's just amazing. Um, But I came across this piece in Politico, how 2020 killed off Democratic's demographic hopes. And be careful of big pronouncements about historic shifts. Mm. And all. Mm. I've heard enough of them to yeah. fill a book through my life. One of the advantages, one of the very few advantages of getting older, and that reminds me, I've got a thing uh, about getting older. The number one thing is it the number one thing that people hate about getting older is uh, 
the thought of getting older. But anyway, hmm. one thing about getting older that is good is having lived through this a couple of times, I can't tell you how many times I've, I've, I've heard that the Republican Party is is no more. Right. And, and then the Democrat Party is no more. They'll never win another election. Mm-hmm. I've heard that said about both parties. Yeah, yep. And as we've often said, it's it's difficult to tell which trends are a pendulum and about to swing the other way and which will continue on for the rest of your life. Uh, but uh, this piece, Zach Stanton is talking to this political uh, scientist uh, named Ashore. He studies uh, electoral maps. No, you know what's funny about this article? You know how every article the that... Weasel. that Oh, God. Every article that, that quotes somebody starts with uh, uh, Jim Shore, a uh, professor of political science at USC, and then for the rest of the article just refers to him as Shore. Sure. Uh, this this piece edited out where they introduce him, and the first time he's mentioned, he's just Shore, mm. like he's Cher or, you know, Madonna. Or Jesus. <laughs> exactly, and we all know who he is. So, uh, Politico, check your edit in. <laughs> anyway, uh so this guy, though, I found it quite uh, quite persuasive. This piece, I'm going to share part of it with you a little bit. It's very long, very long. Trump, whose approval rating was historically low throughout his tenure as president, increased his support among black men and Hispanic voters in key swing states while maintaining his hold on, non, on white, non-college-educated voters. Democrats' House majority shrank, thanks in part to losses in the suburbs and split-ticket voting all but disappeared, dooming Democratic Senate candidates in rural Trump-friendly states. Uh, Says this political scientist, We have an election system that makes it basically impossible for Democrats' current coalition to ever wield legislative power. We are legitimately in a position from here on out where we would need to get 54% of the popular vote, which we did not even accomplish this time, for multiple cycles in a row for us to be in position to really pass laws. That's interesting. Since election results began rolling in, Democrats across the ideological spectrum have engaged in a fierce and surprisingly public debate over what went wrong this year and how to reorient the party for the long term. Much of that debate has been informed by ideological preferences. But what would it look like if you approached it from a data-centric perspective? And he talks about how college-educated white people, in relative terms, swung toward Democrats by a lot, and non-college-educated white people swung against Democrats. He's saying us. This guy's a Democrat. Um, education polarization ended up being larger than it was in 2016. No one saw it coming. Hispanic voters swung against us by large margins, though how large in the exact geographic and demographic distribution is going to be unclear until we get more results, blah, blah, blah. But he thinks it's going to be permanent, or at least semi-permanent, that college-educated white people are going to dominate the Democratic Party. And... If that happens, and he explains why it's going to happen. Number one, they give tons and tons of money. And, and for years it has been auto workers, farmers, coal miners. Trump voters. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, putting aside Trump and his polarizing you know, personality and the rest of it. Um, so, and, and I think you're probably ahead of me at this point. College-educated whites donate at disproportionate rates and volunteer at disproportionate rates. It's going to be very hard for Democrats to resist the pull of catering to their preferences, which is naturally going to lead to losing votes among people who aren't them. Not just non-college-educated whites, but as we saw this cycle, also non-white voters. Um, And it's reasonable that these gaps will continue to grow unless parties make a concerted effort to swim upstream. You know, he goes into a fair amount of detail about this. But. I saw Charles Murray uh, uh, writing about this the other day. He's the uh, bell curve guy, you know, written a bunch of great books. He's a libertarian about uh, 
society and uh, what's wrong with white American various things. But anyway, his his thing is that college education now is the greatest determiner of class. If you're just talking about a group, it's not about the education or what you know you job you can get with it or whatever. But it's a real d- defining line for class. A certain sort of people are going to college. At a, you know, people at a certain income are going to college, and they come from families of certain income, and that has always been the case. If you come from a family of certain income, that you probably are going to be kind of in that group. Right. Um, and it's not purely about income, as you point out. The The guy who has a, a four-man crew repairing air conditioners is probably making more than the social major. Right. But they're seen as different classes. Yeah, 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 exactly, which is interesting. Yeah, it is. I've talked to so many people like that that um are doing that, you know, running a crew for air conditioner repair. Make a hell of a lot more money than the person with the degree that is in the cubicle next to where you are right now. Um, but th- we have a different view class-wise of that, and, which and, is interesting. Well, and one of the best analyses of the whole Trump phenomenon I ever heard was that uh, these people, working America um, has gotten nothing but false promises from the Republicans and condescension from the Democrats. And uh, I think that's A, 100% correct, and B, working class America is waking up to it. America's biggest fears about aging, some coronavirus news for you. What's the Biden administration going to be like for opening up schools? Oh, All on the way. Armstrong and Getty. There is evidence, essentially, that cats have a vocabulary. The name of the app is Meow Talk. What research gave us was essentially nine intents out of the box. These are general intents that all cats have. Like, I'm in pain, where's my mommy? I'm hungry, I'm happy, I'm going to fight. I have cats and dogs in my house. Dogs absolutely understand what you're telling them. They understand they can't talk. Cats, opposite. They don't care what you say, but they can tell you what they want you to do. Mommy, feed me. Leave me alone. Pretty realistic, huh? That's a guy who claims he's got a little device that uh, tells you what your cat is saying. Now, dogs, when they bark and everything, that's just nonsense. But cats, when they meow, they're saying something in particular, says this weirdo. Anyway. Seems like a good gift for the Christmas season. It does, actually. I already got one for Sean, so don't. For a cat lover. I'm not sure how I would use that. Coming up. I actually own a cat. These are America's biggest fears (laughs) about aging. I found this pretty interesting. We'll get to that in just a little bit. A couple of corona notes for Being dead. That's mine. I realize some of you don't buy any of these, but uh, cases are up uh, 72% on the 14-day rolling average. Deaths are up 33%. Uh, So that's a little bit troubling. And uh, maybe that's going to factor in some of the decisions that are being made. A couple more things I'll hit you with. This is stuff from the the Dispatch, which is a bunch of uh, conservatives. The number of Americans hospitalized with the virus has increased 90% month over month. 90% 90% hospitalizations. Almost doubled. More than 10,000 deaths since the beginning of November alone. We're only halfway through. Every state in the country other than Vermont and Hawaii is a currently a COVID hotspot, according to Kaiser. I don't know what a hotspot, you know, what de- designates you that. I found this interesting. A study published in Nature Science said that early in the pandemic, Eight in ten infections could be traced back to restaurants, gyms, coffee shops, or other crowded indoor spaces. 
Month. I don't know how they determine that. Just read that. They used cell phone uh, geographical data. I get that. But how do they know when you got the coronavirus? They can track it. They can. They have predictive models for when it was. But here's my question. How do you know it was at 10 o'clock in the morning when I was at the coffee shop right. and not one thirty in the afternoon when I you know passed that coughing guy? Or is it the gas station? Yeah, I, I actually tried to dive into the actual study and was flummoxed completely. Restaurants were by far the riskiest place, four times riskier than gyms and coffee shops, followed by hotels. So restaurants, way more than gyms and coffee shops, but all treated exactly the same. The world has adjusted since March, and more recent data traces infections back to small, casual social gatherings, dinner parties, game nights, sports leagues, carpools as people's coronavirus bubbles have grown in size. So that's Mm. where you are on that. It struck me today that the New York Times has back-to-back articles, at least the way they're laid out uh, on their online version, that were contradictory. Well, not contradictory, but they're they're a conundrum, I'll tell you that. Uh, One article, Europe keeps schools open. Science increasingly suggests classrooms can be kept open safely. So that's the New York Times is now on board with School, you can do school. That's funny. Right after the president uh, gets beat, apparently. Funny they should print that now. It seems to me from a lot of different quarters, from a lot of people who follow the science, they say schools are fine. Europe has believed it for a long time. We've caught on now. It's close to universal, that belief. So right next, after the article from the New York Times, science increasingly suggests classrooms can be opened safely, comes the article about... Uh, says this, President-elect Joe Biden has presented an education agenda that is starkly different from the Trump era, beginning with a far more cautious approach to school reopenings. Back-to-back articles. So schools can be open fine, followed by, but the Biden people ain't going to do it. Right. Not to mention cracking down on private schools and, and educational choice and the rest of it. More from the New York Times article. The President-elect's closeness with the powerful teachers' unions has raised concerns. Wow, that's in the New York Times. Unions have come under fire from parents and school leaders who say their opposition to in-person institution instruction conflicts with their science, conflicts with science and the students' well-being. So they're both, you know, not only is it obviously better for the kids, even if there's a risk, the science says it's okay. Right. Right. So both ends of it are fine, but the teachers' unions are against it, and the president-elect is close with the, the teachers' unions, according to the New York Times. Love teachers, hate teachers' unions. The idea that, forget the idea that, and, and you see these commercials, every election cycle from the teachers' unions, we're here for the children. We care about the children. That is such a lie. Oh, my God. Yeah. And again, I don't blame the teachers. You know, I don't. Um a lot of you can't stand your union, and you write us emails about it, and we appreciate it. But it's so insidious. And then I've read Something, this. You know what? Sometimes, uh, yeah, I, and, and it's true on the golf course. Sometimes you need to make such a bad swing, you realize what you've been doing on your mediocre swings. And sometimes I think, like, the teachers' unions are so punching our children in the face right now. It's so egregious what they're doing. People will wake up to it. Or, you know, like if uh, if old Kamala Harris gets in 
Because old man Biden, you know, goes senile or quits or whatever, or, or God forbid, uh, should lose his life. Um, if she gets in and, and puts her beliefs on full display, that would be the best thing for conservatism in half a century. I'm hoping this is one of those for the, school, the, the teachers' unions. And I've read this every hour because uh, are there signs that the media is, uh, you know, coming to a, okay, Trump's gone. Let's cover this president. Woo, we can tell the truth again. Or at least kind of try. Yeah. <laughs> is that happening with the New York Times mentioning that about the teachers unions and science says you can open schools? Here's Rick Ryan Lizza of Politico. And Politico leans left, but he tweeted this out yesterday. Discouraging signs about the Biden team and press access so far. No regular transition briefings, no readouts of calls with foreign leaders, no open press access to the candidate and his people. This is a break with tradition. He's saying normal presidents have done this in the past. Right. Right. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens there. In terms of the, the New York Times, quote-unquote, the, the, the radical wing of it, right? They, the, the AOC squad crowd, they are not happy with Biden as the president. Oh, no. They, they no. so I... Excellent point. I, I don't really see them... Excellent point. ...caping up and, and putting on rose-colored lenses for any decisions he makes. Excellent what happens point. Should somebody they actually support get in the White House? I don't know. But I don't think they're going to so be a rubber stamp for Biden. So it might be good things happening for bad reasons. They yep. might be finding their journalistic uh, uh, testicles just because they, therefore, Bernie and AOC, in my opinion. Well, and as um, I've been saying, the the divisions in the Democratic Party are about to be bloody and out in the streets, whether r- really bloody or metaphorically bloody. They're going to go nuts. When the squad gets stiff-armed, they're going to go crazy. They already hate Nancy Pelosi. In fact, I have something around here where they're... They were blasting her behind closed doors for that whole sub-zero refrigerator full of ice cream incident right. early in the COVID. They're still pissed off. Which about I that. thought was a little overblown. I mean, I, yeah, I don't know. It's about policy to me. I don't, I, don't, I don't care who has what fridge. I couldn't care less. Well, and on what was she supposed to do? Pretend she doesn't have a fancy refrigerator? I don't know. Anyway. She's incredibly wealthy. Yeah. Politico also tweeted this out, and then I'll move on from the politics thing. Uh, Nancy Pelosi will preside over one of the slimmest House majorities in decades. A fractured group that is still processing who's to blame and how to move forward. (laughs) One of the slimmest House majorities in decades. So I mentioned, these are America's biggest fears about aging. Uh, They surveyed people over the age of 40. I don't know how I'll look back on it when I'm really old. But uh, I, at this point in my life, I see 40 as a pretty big dividing line for uh, for life. And, you know, it's funny when, when we turned 40. Joe and I basically are exactly the same age. We took in a bunch of calls, and there there was a lot of people indicating that, that 40 was kind of a, a changeover from something to something else. Mm-hmm. Kind of seems like that. Anyway. 60 is the new 40. Is it? Uh, a survey of Americans over the age of 40 finds the average American first starts to feel old at age 47. Hmm. They start worrying about the effects of aging when they hit 50. Having that five at the in the number does... Uh, Get your attention. If you can do math, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah. <laughs> as, uh, as Barack Obama said, and I don't appreciate it a bit, I know that I have more tomorrow, yesterday's than tomorrow's. I thought, hey, 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 let me coast through life pretending that's not true, all right? Two-thirds of people say getting older is the thing they fear most about aging. I'm a little confused by that. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> that's not an answer. <laughs> 
You mean if aging didn't include getting older, you wouldn't worry about it? Hey, Sean, what do you fear most yes. about getting punched in the mouth? Uh, the, the the punching in the mouth. Is yeah, me really too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Is that begging the question? Is that what that is? Uh, it's a form of it. So yeah. Like, so, like, if, well, why does nobody like Jack? Because he's so unpopular. Right, right, right. If a chair was a bear, I would be scared of chairs. <laughs> but I'm not if they're chairs and not bears. That's kind of like this old thing. I'm really only bothered that's by getting old like if it that. includes aging. Well, <laughs> that's what getting old is. If a chair was a bear... And my aunt had balls. <laughs> You're just, I would advise him not to sit on the bear chair. Are you just trying to give it a different name? It's still age. age getting older is aging. Yeah. That's what it is. That's, wow. I'm confused by this. I'm not buying one of those bear chairs. <laughs> if I may reframe this, uh, my favorite thing. Do you run downhill if a chair is after you? <laughs> or up yeah. in a tree? I no, don't remember. Zigzag because they can't turn. <laughs> right. They got no uh, turning abilities. <laughs> Their lateral movement is really lacking. Exactly. They're fast, but they're not quick. <laughs> I find these particularly interesting, too, just because, the to me, my favorite thing about aging and getting older is not dying. <laughs> so I don't know if uh, like a reframing of the question in that way may help. Yeah, uh, your options are yeah. aging or dying. Yeah. I'll and take me, aging. That's it's... an easy choice. Yeah. It's the aging that I hate the most. <laughs> Decline about aging. All right, I'm not quite done. Pull up a bear. I'm about to finish. Uh, the decline of physical function or abilities is the biggest age-related worry. Obviously, I don't want yeah, to become a downer. To me, yeah. yeah. Declining cognitive function. About half of people are mostly concerned with that, and that's because you start to notice it. You yeah. start to notice that in your 40s. Just, I was a half wit in my prime. Your memory just a little bit here and there. Losing my edge, 25%. I don't know if I... <laughs> my what now? My, my edge. Okay, edge lord. What, what is that? <laughs> I've lost my mojo, my moxie. Where's my moxie Where's at? my edge? I can't pull off my <laughs> spiked wrist bracelet thing anymore. <laughs> what? That's your concern? Yeah. Wow. I was going to get a mohawk, and now I just feel like I can't. <laughs> Uh, decline in energy and overall mood. <laughs> yeah, if you got male pattern baldness, you can't get a mohawk. <laughs> no. Not really. A decline in energy, uh, yeah. I, I especially worried about that having kids older. Although it hasn't been as bad as I thought it would be. Uh, decline in appearance or attractiveness, 26%. I'm not a fan. No, I'm not a fan. I don't worry about it. I'll bet that's, I'll bet that's pretty heavily a, a woman thing. I, I could be wrong. Maybe that's a sexist thing to say. I don't know. I don't think so. I think it's a reality in a, uh, a world where men and women are, are looked at and valued differently. I think you're just reflecting that reality. Some of it is is bad. Some of it is natural. Honestly, I've heard from I've heard women say that they didn't even know them. Some women, some women are perfectly aware of what their what their looks have done for them through the years. Mm-hmm. Getting you into a club, getting the bartender's attention, whatever it is, you know. Um, but I've heard women say that I didn't aware I wasn't aware of the fact that my looks played a role in my life or that I. You know that I did that until they started to go away. Mm. Then I realized, oh yeah, that's that's why the salesman doesn't come over anymore like they used to, or whatever. Yeah, yep. Which should be kind of interesting. And you, you you don't really have that as a dude. I just remember when young women started calling me sir. <laughs> oh boy, the first time that happens, that's that's rough. It's a sign of respect. Yeah. Um, things people like about getting older. I'll hit you with that real quick when we come back, and some other stuff. All right. Maybe you got something on the text line, 415-295-KFTC. Uh, 
415-295-KFTC. Oh, hey, we'll, we'll come back to that uh, topic when we come back. But um, just to pay off that Pete Buttigieg thing mm. that I've been mentioning, uh, little Pete there, Mayor Pete, uh, tweeted the other day, if someone you love and care about voted the other way, today might be a good day to reach out. Not to talk politics, but to talk about things that will remind them and yourself why you love and care about them, which is really a beautiful sentiment. And uh, Chris Rufo, who is uh, a sharp tack indeed and a fine writer, points out, meanwhile, Pete Buttigieg's campaign team is literally at this moment assembling a list of Trump supporters to purge from public life. They're among that cabal. Uh, good one. Yeah, yeah. Nice, Pete. So, anyway. Boot edge, edge. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you have that hatchet behind your back, Pete? Um, all that stuff we mentioned more on the way. Armstrong and Getty. Uh, They called Arizona for Biden real close, 49% to 49%, but enough votes for uh, Trump to have won, if you believe the counting. Um, uh, We're talking about uh, America's uh, biggest fears about aging. They talk to people over the age of 40. The average American first starts to feel old at 47, starts to feel the effects of aging at 50. And uh, two-thirds say getting older is the thing they fear most about aging. I don't understand that at all. So odd. Can't even come up with a good uh, comparison of what that means. It's just weird. Yeah. Uh, hmm. The thing I like most about light is the way it brightens the room. How it removes darkness. <laughs> yeah, What exactly. scares you most about shark attacks? Oh, it's probably being attacked by a shark. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> uh, but anyway, uh, everything's not bad about aging. People, The thing people look forward to most about aging is being able to relax and spend more time with family. That's about half. Uh, other things to look forward to include starting my second act. Cage, cage fighter. <laughs> I'm going to be a cage fighter. Wow. Starting, wow. starting next year. I would buy the pay-per-view for that. I'm going to start training. Age in the cage. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Nicely played, Shawnee. Nicely played. Get to your seat for the opening bell. That'd be my suggestion. (laughs) Well, we're a minute in a round one, and both competitors are winded. (laughs) They're both sitting down. Hands on knees. (laughs) Remember the straight race? You'd bang them on the curb. No, no, not really. I don't remember that. Hands on knees. (laughs) Time out. Time out. Wait a minute. There's no time out. The ref is... T. I'm on T. Things people look forward to as they get older. uh, Retiring and traveling more is about a third. And then being advanced in your career. So, you know, spending more time relaxing, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I I relaxed when I was younger. It didn't work out well for me. I'm not good at relaxing. Idle hands, devil's play things, Jack. Hmm? Yeah. Absolutely true. It is absolutely um, so, true. It's talking about uh, there are uh, quite a few states that are mask mandatory states. Then there are quite a few states that are kind of a mix. And then a bunch of states, I was looking at the map today, where they, they have no um, mandates for masks at all. Florida was one of them. And we got this text. I was just in Florida a week ago. Every business we entered had a mandatory mask sign out front. And all employees were in compliance. Imagine that, letting people govern themselves. 
So they don't have any rules for it, but people are doing it. Um, no, no, no. People have to be treated like sheep. But then we got on a plane with 300 other people who are sipping water and nibbling nuts instead of mask wearing. I don't want to fly. I know you're doing it next week, but yep. I don't want to fly. I'll wear a mask, but I know I know a lot of people don't. And you're in that you know room with a bunch of people breathing. I was reading a liberal news source with a bunch of self-important liberal California Bay Area weenies. And everybody agreed there is no sign whatsoever that air travel is dangerous for given the COVID. Really? Yeah. I'm not going on with anything less than a mask and that Arby's turkey pillow thing. Why do you think that is? Because the air is so aggressively filtered on airplanes. It just gets sucked up in a way that your house doesn't, your office doesn't, your cafe doesn't. Awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was relieved to hear it because we're flying clear across the country and back. Well, and back is a question mark. God, Are you sh- doing one of those things that's just a flight so you can get the meal and you, you don't actually <laughs> land in a new place? You're just up in the air for a little while? Hell no. <laughs> I wouldn't want to sit next. I wouldn't want to sit in the same row as a rando who doesn't have a mask on. I, I, I admit, instinctively, I would be uncomfortable with that. Uh, they, they brought back the first cruise, first Caribbean cruise since March, oh. and it didn't go well. 10% of the passengers have tested positive on the <sighs> cruise ship. That's, that's not good. No, that's a lot of people getting it. Yeah. Armstrong and Getty.